Amen. Please be seated and turn in your copy of God's Word to the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you don't know where it is, it's towards the end of the New Testament, towards the end, not all the way at the end, but it's towards the end. Uh, we're going to be looking in verses 2 and, th- uh, or chapter 2 today, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you do need a Bible, we do have Bibles in the foyer. You can pick one up when you come in. You can go grab one now. We'd love for you to have a Bible, be able to follow along. In the scriptures we go, this is God's word to us, uh, given to us for life, given to us for faith, given to us to build in us uh, that which God wants to grow in us. So uh, I was reminded this morning with Anna Playa playing today that a lot of our uh, students will be going back to school this week. Uh, some have I've gone back to school. I know schools, public schools have started up around here recently. So we pray for our students as they've already returned to school. Some will go back to school this week. Some college students will be off. And so we just do pray for your year and uh, year ahead and just pray the grace of the Lord would strengthen you and sustain you during this time. You'd look to him in, in, in all the things that are set before you. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. Um, our our uh, sermon series now is taking us through the fruit of the Spirit. So nine qualities that God gives to us in the Bible of, that he builds inside of his people through faith. Nine qualities starting with love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And God wants to see those things grow in us. He sends his spirit to grow them in us through our union with Christ. And uh, today we had our eighth one, which is gentleness. And you'll see that theme in our passage we have before us today, the, this theme of gentleness and how it works out inside of this passage today. So let's listen to God's holy, his inerrant, his perfect word. First Thessalonians 2.1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak." Not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Verse 13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you had heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. This is the word of God. 
The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we want to see you continue to work in our lives, to, to grow all these fruit inside of our life. And as we turn our attention to the fruit of the spirit of gentleness, Father, we just pray that you'd speak to us through your word. You convict us in our hearts. You help us to see in our lives where we need to grow and what you've already done to encourage us, but also where we have opportunities to grow and to practice this. Father, that you'd be glorified and we'd really be able to, to help the people around us and to reach out to them in love. We ask you for your help in this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we think about gentleness, I just want to ask you, when was the last time that you thought about your gentleness? When was the last time that you thought it through that maybe you were too rough with somebody in the way you communicated or, or something didn't come off in the way that you wanted it to come off? Now, there was a, a pastor back in the 1800s, he wrote a, a book on the fruit of the Spirit, George Bethune, and he, he wrote this. He said, perhaps no grace is less prayed for or less cultivated than gentleness. So back in the 1800s, perhaps no grace is less prayed for or less cultivated than gentleness. And I wonder if that's still the case for us today. He went on to say that, that we think gentleness is something that people have as a part of their personal demeanor. Uh, rather than thinking of it as a Christian virtue. And he went on to say, we rarely recognize that a lack of gentleness is sinful. So this is not a quality that we think about often. We tend to think of it as a, a quality, as he says, personal demeanor. Either we have it or we don't. Maybe it's a habit that we practice when it's convenient for us, but other times we just let go. Maybe we think of it as a survival technique for weak people or something. But, but do we often think of it as the character quality, the quality of a person, the general demeanor of a person when they're interacting with other ones, with, with, with other people? But this is a, a virtue. This is a fruit of the Spirit. This is something that we are supposed to grow in. And the times that we're not gentle, I mean, there is a sin that is there against God. One of the challenges with gentleness is that it might not be so obvious when we're not being gentle. Um, it's usually other people who recognize that we're not being gentle before we recognize that we're not being gentle. And sometimes it's someone else who's going to point out to us that we haven't been very gentle with them. And unless God humbles our hearts in it, we may not even receive that feedback from them very well. But it's important. Um, I heard a story illustrating gentleness in terms of somebody who'd received uh, four exotic fish as a gift. And they knew the fish were coming, and so they, uh, they, they went to the store, and they purchased an aquarium, a used aquarium. And they, they brought it home, and they cleaned it up really good, and they got it all ready to put these four fish in. And after a day, one of the fish that they put in that tank was dead. And the next day, another one had died. And the day after that, another one died. The day after that, the next one died. And, and so they were upset. And, and the friend who gave it to them, they said, we're so sorry, but all the fish died that you gave to us. What do you think happened? 
And so their friend said, well, you know, what did you do? And they described him the fish tank, described him cleaning it and getting it ready for them. And they said, well, what did you use to clean it with? And they described their cleaning method and what they used to do. And they said, you know, those chemicals that you put in to, to clean the, the fish tank, you know, those, those are poisonous to the fish. And unless if those were in the tank, those would have killed the fish. Uh, just little bit by little bit, little bit poisoning by little bit of poisoning until it finally took them. Where a lack of gentleness can be like that. It just poisons the well. It, you know, is that little bit of, of, of problem which affects relationships and breaks them apart. Um, sometimes over time, sometimes it's one thing that we do, um, but it's ultimately destructive to relationships and destructive to uh, the kingdom of God as it separates brothers from one another. Another one of the challenges when it comes to gentleness is that the time we need it is usually the time that we think we're especially right, right? I mean, it's usually we need gentleness when we think we're right and somebody else, and we think somebody else is, is wrong. I remember um, certain points of my life, um, what has been described as my cage stage. And so cage stage, what is a cage stage? Cage stage is when you learn something new and you're so zealous and you're so passionate about it, you want to make sure everybody knows about it and that even if you cause some offense to somebody, you're going to make sure they know what they're missing, where they're wrong, and the thing that they need to make their life right. And I can talk about my cage stage when I first became a Christian. I can talk about cage stage Calvinism. I can talk about different cage stages where I would look at some words that I said to other people that I just wish that I could have back. It happens when we think we're right and we think somebody else is wrong. Our lack of gentleness shows up when we think that our time is more important than the person who's in front of us, and maybe they're bothering us. Maybe they're interrupting something that we really need to get done. Gentleness comes up is important when um, we think our rights are being trampled on, or do we want something from somebody else? We don't value them. We think that their questions are ill-timed, unimportant. We think we're so important. At times of stress and pressure, you know, those are the times that we need gentleness, but we often fail to practice it. Those are the times that we do damage to relationships and fail to obey God. Now, how would you describe a lack of gentleness? I think one of the, the best words to describe the opposite of it is roughness. Maybe you've been treated roughly. Or if you look in verse 6 and verse 7 of our passage, he compares gentleness with being demanding on others. It can show up with a lack of empathy, a lack of care, lack of concern for others. The world that we live in is, is not a gentle place. So we ought not to find, we don't expect to find encouragement for gentleness in our world. Um, the tactics of the world are, are forcible. Um, there's anger, there's yelling. But it can also show up in more subtle forms like belittling or, or, or shaming others. The world does make demand upon demand in our lives, playing our insecurities, never giving assurance, works against us, keeping us in fear so that we would do its bidding. You know, where physical or emotional abuse is present, you know, there is an absence of gentleness. And the devil is not gentle either. The devil is called the accuser. He assaults us with the reminder of our failures so that, that we just despair in any hope in God. He doesn't want your relief. He doesn't want your joy. He wants you to serve him and the purposes for his purposes of undermining God. And, and he destroys people along the way with that. 
That's the world, and that is the devil. But when we experience true gentleness, you know, we do find something remarkable. And no one stands out more than the Lord Jesus Christ himself does. If you look at Matthew 28 and 29, you see Jesus describing himself, and he describes himself with two words. He describes his heart. And he gives the words saying he is gentle and lowly in heart. He shows us what's at the the center of his heart, the center of his motivations. He's gentle and lowly. And so whatever gentleness is, we understand it through the, the person and the work and the life of Jesus. Yeah, I mean, that's Jesus who's our Messiah. Jesus, our prophet, priest, and king. Uh, Jesus, the one that Revelation describes as coming in a white horse with a sword out of his mouth. Uh, the, the, the one who talks about hell and money and sin. He's the one who comes also with gentleness. We see that in the cross. We see that in the resurrection. We see it in gathering of people to himself. All those things are the outworking of his gentleness. We see it in his interactions with people um, in this world of, of touching a leper. First time that person had been touched in ages. Or, or the woman who was caught in adultery, instead of wrongly encouraging her to be stoned to death, um, he says, neither do I forgive, neither do I condemn you. But then he gives words right after that, saying, go and sin no more. And that's what Jesus is like. And as, as we follow him, that quality of, of his gentleness, that, that's what grows in us as believers also. Where true Christian faith is present, we're going to see growing gentleness. That's, that's Christ-likeness. And so it's no surprise by the time we get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse 7, that the Apostle Paul describes his own ministry as being gentle. And so here we have two of the men who had some of the greatest effect in changing the world, and they both expressed their ministry in terms of gentleness. There's something to this quality. There's something to this virtue. It's not a quality of weakness. It's a quality of strength, success, accomplishment in God's eyes. It's a quality that God desires to see grow in his people. And so that's what I want to look at today, gentleness, how we become more gentle, um, and, and its importance. The first point we want to see is that gentleness means being attentive to relationships. We see this especially in verses 7 and 8. It means being attentive to relationships. Gentleness is the, the conviction that you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. A person with gentleness knows that when things get rough, that important relationships get lost. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. We can see the Apostle Paul describing his own ministry. He says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So you see this comparison he has with a, a nursing mother. I don't know if there's any picture that's more gentle than that. Here you have this, this um, mother, you know, providing life and, and care for the most dependent of human beings. And the Apostle Paul expresses his own connection with them with that level of, of gentleness and care and, and love. 
You, know, you see this genuine affection that he has for the church that's there. He's genuinely drawn to friendship with them. There's a desire that he has for that relationship with them. And so we see the Apostle Paul, as he goes and ministers the gospel, is not you know, a cold-hearted, self-righteous arrogance that comes to and indoctrinate people to believe the same way that he believes. No, it's, it, it's, it, he's also not some religious entrepreneur who's attempting to build himself an empire. You know, this is a man who builds through a relationship with God, builds a relationship with the church of Christ, values them, acting in accordance with that value that he has. It's a quality that is so critical for the people of God. If you look over in, in John chapter 13, you know, Jesus gives the mark by which the world will see that we are his disciples. And what is that mark? It's the mark of love. You know, that's the way that, that the world sees that we are his disciples. And, and how, is, you know, how is love going to be demonstrated but the gentleness that we have for one another? He says in um, verse, uh, first in John thirteen thirty four, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. We, as we love each other, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We give grace to one another, loving one another with the gentleness that God has shown to us, showing that there's a difference between God's people and the world. And so that's something that needs to, to characterize the people of God. All around us are people who are looking for hope. They feel the sting and the shame of sin. They look at past decisions they have and they, they wonder, you know, how can God accept me and, and how will a church accept me? Is gentleness important in showing the acceptance and the love of God for those who have regrets? Shame, things they want to hide from, from, from others, but they need to desperately deal with. Yeah, I mean, gentleness matters enormously in that, where, where there's harshness or, or overbearing criticism inside of the church. I mean, it's, it's something that, that scares people off. It, it makes them think that there, you know, is no grace that's there. You know, we're people who are demonstrating gentleness to those inside and and outside the church, showing the gentleness of God in what we do. It's a recognition that all of us have sinned, that we share in a need together, that we're limited, that we're, we're finite, and there's mercy and grace that's available at the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, as I, I do this somewhat topically, looking at the, the various times the Bible talks about gentleness, it is all over the place. You know, it shows if you just do a word study or look through some of the places where it's present, you see the importance of gentleness inside the life of every believer. It's present um, in the, the requirements for leadership inside of the church. First Timothy 3.3 says that an elder must be gentle, right? T tonight, we have the opportunity to honor George Giddens' uh, ministry as his elder, and, and one of the things we look to as we do that is just how Christ cares for his church through um, officers. And, and, and just to mention some today, in case you don't come tonight, one of the ways I'd commend George for is, is his gentleness as an elder. In fact, if there's ever a hard statement we ever had to give, I heard somebody say this, if you ever have to say something really hard to somebody, they always ask George to go do it. 
And, and, and that, was, that, was, that, that was part of your work, George, because of the gentleness that you brought. That's the quality of an elder. And, and may the Lord increase that ministry, may increase the tribe that you demonstrate in it. Gentleness is key for that. But it's uh, 1 Timothy 6.11. 2 Timothy 2.25 says that pastors should be gentle. And so leaders, whether they're at the church or whether in the home, um, in the marketplace, you know, you need to be gentle. We're always dealing with wayward people. We're always dealing with difficult situations. We're going to deal with, with stress. And there is a need to be gentle in that. The, the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. The Bible reminds us of that. The spiritual leader has the ability to gather uh, people together behind the truth of the gospel. Jesus told Peter to, to feed his sheep. What a tender statement of gentleness. The Old Testament prophets, uh, they condemned the evil shepherds who were rough on the sheep and they drove them away. You can see Jeremiah 23. Jesus confronted the spiritual leaders of his day who added burdens that they would not help with. They were rough in their demands and their treatment of God's people. If you're going to be an effective spiritual leader, you must be gentle in bringing people along in the truth. And this is the day where uh, gentleness isn't often celebrated, but where it's needed. You know, you think, what's going to get you uh, clicks on the internet? What's going to draw your attention politically? Or, or even, um, you know, oftentimes uh, uh, Christian leaders. And, and, and sadly, it's, it's not often, it's the harsh statements, the hard statements they give, you know, the, the negative, uh, vitriolic things which can garner clicks and attention and eyes towards itself. We've heard over the past years of, of pastors, elders who are rough in their congregations. There can be a charis- uh, they can be charismatic they, and, and yet say inflammatory things um, that cause those clicks to happen. And yet, under them, that you hear the news of congregations who are hurt, sheep that are hurt because of that rough treatment. You know, gifting, talent, charisma means nothing if it's not accompanied by gentleness. There's harm that's done. It's the same in the home. If you're rough in the home, whether it's in your words or your, your physical behavior, you're wrecking relationships. You know, there's no place for that inside of Christian discipleship. I mean, if it's you, you know, take this, this call to gentleness as a call to re- repentance, as a call to faith, as a, as a call to cry out to Christ for help, and to do it before you drive the people in your life away, and, and instead to begin to heal the damage that's already been done. But you can do that in faith. You can do that through Christ. If we want to make the best difference we can, one for good, not for harm, gentleness matters. Relationships matter. That's going to lead us to our second point uh, today is that gentleness means treating others well. And so if we see the Apostle Paul describing this gentleness that he has for caring for the church, you know, you see a lot of things that he just refuses to do and some things that he does. If you look at verse 5, he sees some things he doesn't do. He doesn't flatter people. He isn't greeting. It's because flattery is not gentle. You know, flattery is something that people use to build a person up in order they can take from them later, right? It's a subtle way of controlling through deception. Verse 5, we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Verse 6, he goes on to say, nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or others, that we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. You know, we see it mentioning greed. 
mentioned glory-seeking from people. You know, this is one of the way things we try to get out of people, and it often becomes a cause for the lack of gentleness in a home or in a church or in a certain place. That's because, you know, the person that's there doesn't matter. All that matters is the thing that we can get from them in order to get money, in order to get glory from another person. Um, you know, the, the, the rough person might shame. They might manipulate in order to get that from them. Abuse in marriage it is, is contrary to God's call to gentleness. And it often happens because a husband wants to get glory from their wife or, or, or vice versa. Abuse happens when they want to always look good, when they always want to feel good, when they never want to be put out, when they don't want to face difficulty, when they want to feel like they're well-respected. And when that doesn't happen, they resort to abuse to get that glory. It's evil. Shows up in other places. It could be in the workplace, the church, things that are just contrary to Christian virtue, contrary to the example of Jesus, contrary to the good of people that God has put in our lives. The need of gentleness shows up in, in the ways that we interact all together. You know, even at our own church, you know, we always remember that we're, we're dealing with volunteers, you know, people who are um, you know, giving in love of the Lord and the, call, the sense of call they have uh, to the body of Christ as a whole. And it reminds us of our need to be gentle with uh, those who volunteer their time. I mean, it is one person. If, it's, it's one thing if people are rough with me. You know, it's another thing if they're rough with somebody who's just volunteering their time to do something. You know, I've regretted time saying, well, you know, I, I hate to say this, but if you're going to do this, you're going to have a bit of a thick skin. The Lord will use it, but you're going to have to have a thick skin as you go through it. And um, some of our women have, have faced it the worst, it just as conversations have happened through the years. You know, but that's not how we are to treat one another, but with gentleness, with kindness to one another. The Bible also talks about how we deal with, deal with people who don't believe the same as, uh, of us. If you look at 1 Peter 3.15, it talks about interactions with unbelievers. How is it that we interact with non-Christians who may not hold the same views that we have? There's a carefulness in response. 1 Peter 3.15, he says this, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. We honor Christ, right? We hold fast to the truth. Our convictions, our beliefs, Right? We want to share those with others. It says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Be ready to talk about it, to share, and to press home the important claims of the Christian faith. And then he says next, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness is critical to our witness. There's other ways that we fail to be gentle. If you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, you know, one way that we fail to be gentle is to put unnecessary burdens and demands on others. Verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, You remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Well, I proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul's gentleness is in removing the obstacles which come before the Thessalonian church and, and, um, and faith in Jesus Christ. He was not going to make uh, financial demands upon them to share the gospel with them. He wasn't pressuring them to give. It's a bit different than many of the religious leaders of the day who used uh, their position to gain power or to gain money. They'd add extra commands to the people of God to prove they're really devoted to God. And all those extra burdens were added. It kept people away from God rather than pointing people towards him. Those extra rules kept them away. And that was not gentle. And that's why Jesus shined all the brightly. 
If you turn to Matthew chapter 11, I mentioned this earlier, but Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, you know, we see the gentleness of Christ and respond to these demands, and response to these burdens, which the religious leaders were putting on the people. He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now that is the gentleness of Christ. He's a burden bearer. Right? He carries, yeah, is there a yoke in following Christ? Yes, there's a yoke in following Christ. But he carries that together with us. Not putting demands on us that he hasn't entered into himself as the son of God and our high priest. And so knowing the gentleness of Christ, that calls, that's our call to gentleness ourselves. If you look it over at Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4, we see uh, this said, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. All right, so what's that calling to which you've been called? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Right, the calling that you have, the way you're going to work it out, it's going to happen if faithful to God in gentleness. Right, and one of the ways that really shows up, if you just jump down to verse 29 there, Ephesians 4, 29, we see it in our words. The things we say to one another, the things we say in our families, in our homes, in the community. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. How are our words? Are they, do they build or do they tear down? You know, that's one of the ways that we'll see our roughness, our gentleness at play. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, at the end of the section, verse 13, you know, he commends them for all the work that he sees inside of their life. He commends them for the growth that, that they've had, their, their faithfulness to, to God. And it's a reminder to us that, you know, you know, the words we use are to celebrate what God is doing. You know, for anything that we may say, because we do have times to give challenges before people, to say hard words, there are things that we need to do, but we also need to celebrate what we see God doing. And if we're a person who can't uh, see God's work and to commend the work of God in the lives of others, and we only criticize, we may lack gentleness in our lives. Commend, build up with our tongue. If you turn over to Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, there's a call to gentleness even when we have to correct people. Right? Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, right? So if somebody is doing something wrong, it's established, it's a fact. It's not just I think you're wrong and I'm right. It's that I know you're doing something which has hurt me, it's hurting others, it's a sin against God. There, there's problems that are there. If anyone's caught in a transgression, he says, you who are spiritual should restore him how? In a spirit of gentleness, right? Even in correction, recognizing that gentleness matters, he says, keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted, right? When we're correcting others, you know, what's one of the sins that we can enter into ourselves? Are we overly rough? Are we overly harsh? Are we overly demanding? You know, are we uh, just laying burden after burden rather than showing a way of escape and relief? We need to be attentive to that. 
Verse two says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, right? Right, he is carrying burdens along uh, with us. You know, that's him being gentle to lean heart and, and as we come alongside others, we bear their burdens with them. And so whether that's in our families, in the church, with someone we just disagree with, there's a call to be gentle, even in difficult situations, even when we have to use hard words and when we have to correct others. And so, you know, one of the keys for us then in growing in gentleness is just an awareness of how it is that we're interacting with others. At times it's going to come when we say something and we immediately see the, the, the nonverbal response of the person before you. Has anybody ever said anything and you immediately saw that in their body and you just said, oh, I wish I didn't say that? You know, probably as a husband, I'm definitely guilty of that. So that's one cue. Or, and here's a great lunchtime conversation for you, you could ask somebody, am I a gentle person? Or how would you rank me in gentleness? I mean, this is going to be a great lunchtime conversation. She's got to be ready for the answer. And if you're anything like me, you're a little nervous to ask that question. <laughs> am I gentle? Right? I mean, it's been, talk, even talking about it, this soul searching, it makes you just think, you know, Am, am I gentle? And you look back at times that I haven't been. You know, conversations I just wish I could have back. Things with my kids, things with my wife, things with others. You know, because you recognize just how, you know, that lack of gentleness, that roughness, it puts up barriers. It doesn't build bridges. Are you working on being gentle? All right, for our third point, I want to jump into one of the obstacles to gentleness by addressing it positively. What is gentleness? Well, gentleness requires spiritual strength. I mean, one of the perceptions is that gentleness is for wimps. There's a perception that gentleness is weakness. In fact, if you know the, the nihilistic philosopher Frederick Nietzsche, you know, his will to power, his nihilism, and all the, the, the darkness which comes out of that, he really believes that. He says, gentleness is what weak people do to try to ultimately gain their own power. And as a result, what you can see um, as that grows in society, not only in Nazi Germany, but you could also see it today. You know, you could look online, look at somebody like Andrew Tate, who's online, who has 6.4 million viewers and it just um, espouses this nihilistic philosophy of, of no gentleness, but control, authority, power, and, and those things. And you can see how it works out. You, know, you can see how it works out as he gets arrested for some of the most heinous of, of, of crimes in Romania. It's just, there's, there's some horrible, horrible uh, things that grow out of, the, out of that belief. I mean, it is all through media, right? I mean, who, who is it that gets the most clicks online, um, you know, whether it's in politics or in other avenues? Again, it's those who can say the most damaging words to hurt other people, right? This just seems to get ahead. But that's not true of the followers of Christ. And there's a spiritual strength that you need if you're going to do that. Gentleness is not weakness. In fact, it requires strength. Let's look at verses 1 and 2, again, back in 1 Thessalonians. Verses 1 and 2, because, you know, he's talking about his gentle ministry. Well, how did it all start? Verse 1 and 2, you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you is not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. All right, so here you have this, this you know, his gentle ministry is bold proclamation. 
His gentle ministry is in the midst of, of great opposition from other people. His, his, his gentleness is in the face of conflict out of other people. And then if you jump down to verse 11, he further describes it. Remember he described his, his, uh, his uh, ministry with them as a mother? Well, in verse 11, 12, you see him describing it as a father. There's a little bit of both. Verse 11, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you in his own kingdom and his own glory. None of this is contrary to the gentleness with which he uh, did that. That's because gentleness is not weakness. It's not indifference. I mean, if you are indifferent to somebody else, you never need to be gentle. Like, if you don't have anything to say, if you never want to challenge anyone, if you don't have a gospel that you want to let know, anybody know about, you know, if you're a coward and a wimp, you don't need gentleness because you just won't say anything. I mean, it's that time when we do have something to say. It's in the time that we are, do see somebody hurting themselves or others that we need to address that. You know, it's, it's that time that we want somebody to know Christ and to know him personally. You know, those are times that gentleness is, is, is necessary. I mean, gentleness is necessary at the very time that we have something to say. Gentleness is not the same as meekness. We see in the Bible, there's a, there's a, there were, meekness is something the Bible commends us to. But meekness is, in large measure, something that is passive. You know, even the biblical word that's used is somewhat passive. It's something that we, uh, when we receive something, how do we receive that? How do we respond to that? But gentleness is an active word. It's about going and doing something. It's describing the way that we do things. It's, it is not passive. And so gentleness requires that we are trying to correct, that we're trying to pass on a message, that we have something to offer, or that we think another person is wrong. It just describes how we do it. It's not for indifferent people, but in fact, it requires the strength of self-control. It requires that we're comfortable enough in talking to someone else about something that's really important but yet not forcing them to bend to our agenda or to our timeline. The person who abuses another person is a weak person. They're weak because they can't trust the sovereignty of God. They can't trust the other person. And so instead of trusting the strength that comes in that, they attempt to control and they don't love. There's too much fear that's there. But you see the strength and gentleness of Jesus. And that is, he, you know, he changed the world. And yet at the same time, he's gentle and lowly in heart. You have the Apostle Paul with the rest that he took. And yet he compares himself to a nursing mother. So we need to reject that message that gentleness is weak. We need to see that it is strong. We need to see that it's something that we need. And it's a strength that we need that comes to us from God himself. We need a, a gentleness that comes from Christ. And if we think about Jesus' ministry for a minute, we remember that when he wanted to turn us from enemies of God into friends of God, what did he do? Remember, we were in the wrong. Right? He wanted to turn prostitutes, adulterers, tax collectors into obedient followers of God. He wanted to turn self-righteous religious legalists into humble followers of God. And what's the way he did it? I mean, he did it by dying for them. I mean, his most gentle way of turning people away from sin and away from self-righteousness was to pay the penalty of their sins, to forgive them 
and to give them a new heart, which hungers after God. But just like the woman who was caught in adultery, he has a word in that gentleness. Go and sin no more. Right? That's his yoke. It's firm. It's a firm message. Repentance and faith. But it's one in a Savior who walks with us along that road, along that path. So his gentleness starts with his love. And our gentleness is going to come because we know his. We learn gentleness from others. And Jesus is our perfect teacher. And we're confident that our sins are paid for. That's, that's huge. Our fears have been removed. We believe that God has provided everything that we need in Jesus Christ. And that enables us to be gentle. So we don't have to justify ourselves anymore. We don't have to justify ourselves by proving that we're right to the world or to this person who's in front of us. Our, our justification stands before God himself. We're not justified before God by being right. We're not justified by, by God for changing the opinion of others. We're justified before God through faith in Jesus. Every ability to be gentle comes through faith in him. And so as you find a lack of gentleness in your life, what should you do? Let's look to Jesus. Remember your need of Jesus. Remember your need of faith in Christ, his kindness, his gentleness, his patience, his forgiveness for you. Receive that. Believe that. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you put yourself under his sovereign lordship? Trust in him. Ask him to make you firm in conviction, this conviction of what he's done, but to speak the truth in love and to do it in gentleness. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you have been gentle with us God, you have not treated us as our sins deserve, but you've treated us with kindness and mercy. God, you've directed us in the steps we should go. And Father, you walk with us through it and you carry our burden along with us. We rejoice in your gentleness. God, by your grace, you've freed us. You've freed us from the rough hand of the world. Father, we're no longer under the condemnation or the demands of the law or his perfection. Father, we've come under the gentleness of Christ and his work on the cross. And so, Father, we pray that by that same grace, help us to grow in gentleness in all of our relationships. God, we ask you to help us in this. In Jesus' name, amen.